Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Sword and Trial. Today, Graham and I talk about traveling through Vanity Fair. We riff off of Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress and that section of his allegory where he describes the world in which we live as a fair of vanity. So I hope that this will be beneficial to you. We're talking very much as pastors today in this episode. Welcome to The Sword and Trial. The Sword and Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. Glad to have you join us today for this episode of The Sword and Trial, where Graham and I want to talk about some things that have been on our minds that we've had private conversations about, we've addressed in the church, and recently had uh, a sermon that dealt with some of these issues about how Christians live in the world and how we are to respond to the world. Uh, too often, we can just drift along, and if you're not standing firm, you're going to be undermined. And uh, we see this in so many areas, not just in the institutional world uh, that we're in today with various institutions, one after the other falling, but you can see it in the lives of individual believers as well. You can see it in churches as well. So how do we think about that? What's going on when that happens, when someone who has been standing firm seems to stumble in a very severe way, or some church that has long been a stalwart for the gospel of Jesus begins to compromise on that gospel, or institutions that not too many years ago were somewhat trustworthy, or at least seemed to be benign, are now uh, opposed to the things of God and against nature itself. How do we think about that? So, mm-hmm. Graham, what's going on with that? Well, you know, I think we have to come to the recognition that this world is a place that is uh, hazardous to our spiritual health. Um, and if we're not thoughtful uh, and intentional about the way in which we live in this world, if we're not thoughtful about the um, things that come into our minds and the things that we place our affections upon, well, those things can very easily lead us astray. Mm-hmm. And it's not as though, you know, we've talked about this a lot. It's not as though we kind of live in this world that's kind of neutral and you can kind of make of it what you will. Um, and th- there, there is an enemy uh, and he has power in this world and he seeks our destruction. And even if he can't destroy us, he seeks to maim us spiritually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's so effective at doing that. Like you said, not just on the individual level, but also, you know, for in, when it comes to Christian institutions, institutions as well. So we have to be on guard uh, and we have to be on the lookout for those strategies of the enemy as he seeks to maim our souls. Yeah. And ours is not the first generation to face this, obviously. I mean, these are things are common to man and common to Christianity, common to the faith. So even in the Old Testament, you, you see that when Lot, you know, went and cast his tents toward Sodom mm-hmm. and Gomorrah, you see what happened to Lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abraham didn't do that. And so Abraham was in a position to rescue uh, Lot and to help out in times when uh, there were difficulties there and ultimately came to the destruction of Solomon Gomorrah and Abraham's intercession uh, preserved Lot and his family. But Lot is called a righteous man. Mm-hmm. And yet this righteous man offered up his daughters mm-hmm. uh, to be raped. Mm-hmm. And you, you think, well, what's going on there? Well, there, there's a guy who has been infiltrated in his thinking uh, by the context in which he lived. He, mm-hmm. he wasn't standing firm. You, you see that in 
the Old Testament um, tribes as well. You know, they, they take over Canaan, but they don't, they don't eliminate the Canaanites. Mm-hmm. And so before long, they themselves get Canaanized. Mm-hmm. And you see that. And that happens in the New Testament as well. You just read those letters to the churches in Asia in Revelation 2 and 3. And five of those churches were being infiltrated in ways that were uh, sometimes subtle, but always deadly mm-hmm. to undermine the work of Christ, such that he threatens to unchurch them. So we're not the first generation. And, and a book that we love here talks about this very uh, eloquently and helpfully. It's Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Uh, Graham, have you read Pilgrim's Progress? Uh, a couple of times. Good. Not, not as many times as you have. Though. Well, that's good. I mean, I, you know, that, that makes me have some assurance you're going to heaven, you know, that you've read Pilgrim's <laughs> Progress. Uh, Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress is just unsurpassed in my estimation in terms of an allegory that helps us to think rightly about the Christian life. And interestingly enough, you know, it is a pilgrimage from this world, the city of destruction, to the world to come, uh, the celestial city. And um, there's uh, this motif that has lived on in thinking about our Christian lives that we are pilgrims traveling through. You know, mm-hmm. this world is not our home. And that's true in mm-hmm. very profound ways. But we are here, and we're to represent Christ here, and we are to preach the gospel here and make disciples here and teach people to observe all the things that Christ has commanded us here. And there's quite a few things. There's a lot of things. <laughs> there's every area of life, you know, that then uh, should come under that authority of Christ. And so we're not ashamed about that. But Bunyan helps us to think rightly. The, the, that common theme in Pilgrim's Progress that just goes all the way through both the first and second book is, is just leading us forward, leading mm-hmm. us on, <clears throat> recognizing there's more to come. The best is always yet, yet to be mm-hmm. for a Christian. But one of the scenes in Pilgrim's Progress is Vanity Fair. Mm-hmm. And uh, that idea has lived on. I mean, we, we see it in uh, different cultural reference, references today. People who don't have a clue how Bunyan used it will refer to Vanity Fair. Isn't it like a company that makes paper plates or something that, like that? That's right, you know, <laughs> in a magazine or something, yeah. you know. So, uh, but in Vanity Fair, Bunyan captures in a wonderful way, a very helpful way, this idea of worldliness and how worldliness is always looking for ways to, to mm-hmm. uh, capture God's people and to lead us astray, to make us conform to their ideas, their values, their uh, goals and understanding of what's right, good, and beautiful mm-hmm. in contradiction to what God has told us in his word and called us to be and do. Mm-hmm. So guess what? We're living in Vanity Fair. Yeah. And when Bunyan puts that in his story, he, he describes it as an ancient fair. And so it's always been there. And from Genesis 3, it's been there. And it's a fair that the only way you avoid it in the Christian life is if you go out of this world. So if you die, you know, mm-hmm. if you die as a Christian before you have much life experience, then uh, you will not face the kinds of pressures that come in Vanity Fair. But I, we encourage you to read Pilgrim's Progress and um, meditate on that section in Vanity Fair because you got two guys there, Christian and faithful, and when they walk into the city, th- they create a stir. Mm-hmm. And the reason they create a stir is because they are dressed differently than the people in the city. They talk differently. They're not like those folks. And so people start looking at them 
and then they start calling to them, you know, and hey, come buy my baubles and you know mm-hmm. do this, and and they just won't do it. They shut their ears and they try to keep their head down, and they just want to get through. And the citizens of Vanity Fair won't have it, mm-hmm. and so they ultimately get them arrested, and there's a trial, and uh, faithful dies. He he is mm-hmm. executed by the citizens of Vanity Fair after a kangaroo court right. that unjustly condemns him to death. Mm-hmm. So what's the lesson in Vanity Fair for us today and particularly the fact that two of them enter and only one of them exits? Well, I think there's a I think there's a lot of lessons there. You know, obviously it's an allegory of the Christian uh, in his journey through this world and the uh, myriad of of distractions and delights and things that that are here in this world uh, that can draw our affections down rather than raise our affections upward and draw our attention and our actions to the things of this world and even into sinful endeavors rather than to to stay on the path and walk the path of righteousness. Uh, and that's something that every, like you said, every Christian is going to have to deal with that temptation and those issues. But, you know, it's not as though it's just, you know, the world, but there are people in the world who are drawing Christians mm-hmm. uh, into these types of endeavors. And so, like you said, there, there are, there are vendors who try to sell the things to Christian and faithful and try to pr- convince them, Hey, this, this thing here is really great. Come on over here with me and, and distract them and draw them off the path. Um, and so it's it's people in the world who are kind of targeting Christians. And it's not as though, you know, Christian and faithful are dressed different. And so Bunyan's making the point that, well, Christians, you know, they, they have this physical appearance that's right. very different from, but Christians are going to necessarily be different from other people in the world. And that's going to draw attention to them. And the world's not satisfied with that. The world wants Christians to be like mm-hmm. them, wants mm-hmm. Christians to be like the world. And it's interesting the strategies that the world uses in order to do that. Um, first, it's the carrot. First, <laughs> it's the, hey, look at these wonderful, beautiful uh, things that we have here. And if you just stop by and come off the path, uh, then you can have these and you can experience these pleasures as well, like like we're able to. And look, yeah, I'll even give you a discount. It'll be a great deal. Um, but they consistently say, no, we're not interested. And it's the fact that they're not interested. that They don't, put, they don't yeah. put much stock in these things. They don't think that these things are valuable. That's what's really offensive yeah. to, to the people in Vanity Fair. So first it's the carrot. And then when they say, no, we don't want the carrot, well, then it's the stick. Yeah. Then it's they beat them. Then it's they they take them to court. Then they put faithful to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what eventually the the world seeks to do to Christians. If if Christians are not going to be dissuaded uh, through wealth and prosperity and uh, power and all these things that the world has to offer, well, if you can't be dissuaded that way, well, then we're going to persecute you and we're mm-hmm. going to put you to death. Thank you for joining us today for this conversation on the sword and the trowel. Tom and I wanted to invite you to come and join us down here in sunny Southwest Florida, January 23rd through the 25th for our national founders conference. Uh, this next theme for next year is going to be revive us. Oh Lord, a, a whole conference on revival. Uh, Dr. Tom Askell, Dr. Bodie Bauckham, Jeff Johnson, Dr. Joel Beakey will be some of the speakers that will be there with us. It's going to be a wonderful time as the founders national conferences always are of fellowship and growing in the word. Uh, so go to founders.org. Uh, look at some of the information on the conference. We'd love to have you here. And if you'd like more information, you can see some of that at the end of this podcast.
It's an important lesson because uh, we, I think, living in the West here in America particularly, we've had it so good so long because of the blessings that have come from the gospel where our forefathers preached that gospel, believed that gospel. This country was founded in a context where the gospel was recognized and Christ was recognized. Not saying everybody was a Christian at the founding, but Mm -hmm. that was the air that was breathed. That was the cultural context created by the gospel out of which this country came. And we've been blessed so long with that that we can take for granted <coughs> that you know if um, if we just live like good little Christians then everybody's going to like us and we'll get along and if people don't like you well then you know, you're not being a very good Christian you're not being a good testimony you know mm-hmm. you, you need to be a faithful presence in the world and if you do that then you're not going to have any trouble in this world well that's just folly that's contrary to what the Bible teaches our master he, he was faultless mm-hmm. and he was crucified mm-hmm. and you look at his apostles i mean they they were put to death they they were martyred for their faith and to think that we can get through this life and be nice enough to people that will be hell fellow well met by everyone is utter folly mm-hmm. it's not reading the bible accurately Uh, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, Paul says. So if that's true, doesn't mean we'll all have our heads chopped off, but some of us will. And it does mean that this world is not going to be our friend and that we can't sign any kind of peace treaties with the world either. Mm -hmm. We've we've got marching orders and they don't come from the citizens of Vanity Fair. Mm -hmm. So what Bunyan so graphically uh, depicts here is, yeah, um, the world will try to make you conform. And if you don't conform, the, the world doesn't mind imprisoning you and mm-hmm. the world doesn't mind executing you. Mm-hmm. And it's an allegory, of course, but we have seen it time and again throughout history played out literally in mm-hmm. just that way. And we who have lived off the largesse of spiritual blessings and deposits into the cultural bank account that have been made by Christianity and those deposits now running dry and we're overdrawn. Uh, we should not be so naive as to think that, Oh no, we're beyond that. Yeah. And you know, and these, um, these people in power in vanity fair who target Christians, you know, this is a religious issue. Um, you know, the Christians are unwilling to go along with the religion of the people in vanity mm-hmm. fair. Um, and the people who are in power, wherever you are in the world, they have particular a, a particular religious bents. They have their own cultic system. You know, they have their own deities, whatever those may be. Even a, in a secular society, you know, we, we still worship. Yep, we're, we're humanists, right? Um, and so, it, it, they the people in power in Vanity Fair are going to target anyone who doesn't adhere to their religion, Christian or not. The interesting thing, though, is that Christians are the ones who can't syncretize. Mm-hmm. They can't adjust their religion so that it kind of conforms to the religion of the people in power in Vanity Fair. And so that's what often happens is as as the people in power uh, seek to conform everyone to their religion. Well. The, the, the false pagan religions, they can do that fairly easily and still have the semblance of, you know, oh, I'm still a Muslim, oh, I'm still Jewish, oh, I'm still Hindu or whatever it is, and I'm still adhering to to the the pagan religion of, of power. You see that, for instance, in the United States with uh, Muslims who uh, don't necessarily, necessarily believe and act like the Muslims of the Middle East. You know, they've syncretized mm-hmm. their religion to secularism. Uh, you see this with Roman, Roman Catholicism. But Christians can't do that. Mm-hmm. We don't have that option to syncretize our religion to the dominant religion of Vanity Fair. And that's why 
you know, the, the carrot doesn't work for on Christians and that's why the stick eventually comes for the Christians. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember seeing this most graphically the first time I went to South America and, uh, driving through some little towns in Brazil, they were having these festivals. It was right after, uh, the, uh, festival for their, uh, patron saint, uh, a de Norte, if I remember correctly. And so their little towns were having these festivals too. And the folks I was with were reading to me the signs crossing the streets as we we're driving through the towns. And they were to, uh, various, uh, female, uh, figures that they venerated and, it was explained to me is what they've done when Roman Catholics came in there. Syncretism was their way of evangelism. And so they said, Oh, you worship these goddesses. Well, her name's Mary. <laughs> you know, and so <laughs> They just did that. And so they, they, they were all Roman Catholics, but they were all still very much practicing their uh, cultic type of religions that come from animism and, and other things as well. So no true Christians can't do that, but true Christians very often fall into that. Mm-hmm. And there are the, there's the constant pressure to try to get us to do that. Even in the first century, just offer a little pinch of incense to Caesar. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus can be put in the Parthenon with all the other gods as well. Mm-hmm. And we will accept you. Mm-hmm. But it was the refusal of the disciples of Jesus to say, Caesar is Lord mm-hmm. that cost them their lives. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a fundamental important truth that we need to recover today that Jesus is Lord, nobody else. Mm-hmm. And that any authority that exists in home, in church, in state, in any arena is only delegated authority by King Jesus. And as Christians recover this, then we're going to find ourselves uh, more and more aware of just how deeply into Vanity Fair we are. Mm-hmm. And uh, Vanity Fair has been rising. I mean, it seems like the the effectiveness and the power of Vanity Fair has uh, been unleashed almost maybe in the last 50 years or so. Yeah, it's almost as if, you know, brothers who were once walking with us down the path to Vanity Fair have now become the vendors on the side of the street trying That's to right. draw us off the path. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you go back and read some of the uh, prominent teachers we were doing this this morning uh, and things they were saying about the Bible 15 years ago yeah. about women pastors about patriarchalism in the home and in the world and compare that to where they are today yeah. advocating feminist agendas, usually very subtly and sometimes in very mm-hmm. stained glass language, but it's the same uh, agendas as the radical feminists. And you said, what's happened? Well, they just got captive. Mm-hmm. They've been taken captive by the world. And now then they've signed up and, and they're, no, we can be a faithful presence. You know, we haven't given up Christ. No, you haven't completely. All you've done is you've just lowered Christ to be one of the many gods. Yeah. And the world will let you do that. Yeah. So thinking about this then practically, uh, understanding that, okay, so there are actual strategies in place to pull Christians off the path in Vanity Fair. We need to be aware of what those strategies are. And then also be aware of the strategies that the Lord has given us to insulate ourselves from those types of attacks, not insulate ourselves from the persecution that comes because that will come. And I think oftentimes we think, okay, how do I insulate myself from the persecution? Oh, I become more like the vendors in Vanity Fair. <laughs> and that's not the way. And that's how yeah. so many Christians have been drawn off the path. So, but first, you know, what are the particular types of strategies that have been employed um, in our own cultural context here in America that we mm. need to be aware of? 
strategies to resist strategies that the that the enemy employs against oh, the us. enemy employs against oh yeah well education would be uh, a massive one to uh, go along with the state approved state ordained education system so that they determine what's right what's wrong what's true what's false what's good what's bad and we've had politicians now more than one in recent years are saying have said things like the problem we've got to overcome in our world is parents thinking that their children belong to them Mm-hmm. And this idea that, oh, no, 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 you know, it takes a village and we're the village. And so parents, yeah, you have a role to play, but we're the real professionals here. Right. How many times have you heard that? You know, the professional teachers are the ones that know what's best for your children. And so I, I would say anybody that is just mindlessly going along with education systems, government education systems, they are they are just laying down and rolling over for one of the most effective discipleship programs that our world has. But aren't you grateful for the separation of church and state and the state state is religiously neutral and doesn't teach any religion to our children? <laughs> yeah, well, separation of church and state doesn't mean the state's neutral. Neutrality is a myth. You mm-hmm. know, if you think the state is neutral, then uh, you just need to look up statism mm-hmm. and see how uh, all states tend toward that or want to go toward that if they're not conscientiously being held in their place, which is not in the place of the church. So yeah, sir, separation of church and state. Amen. I believe that not separation of Christ in the state. Mm. Christ is Lord of the state. And that means the state has a role to play. And that role is not determining what's right, good, and true. And then indoctrinating our children with that. So I think that's uh, one way. I think the, the medical community, in fact, again, this comes out of the playbook of cultural Marxism. I mean, Antonio Gramsci and his disciples, um, I don't remember which one, but it's in a German student movement, I believe, that, that talked about the, the long march through the institutions. And so what they meant by that is if we're going to overcome, if we're going to infiltrate this ideology, cultural Marxism, into the world, then we've got to look at the institutions. What institutions? Well, the educationist, educational institution, the medical institution, uh, cultural institutions like uh, the arts and entertainment, um, uh, political systems, and religious institutions. And so there's all these designs that are uh, very skillfully being carried out to try to change the thinking, to capture the minds of everyone, including God's people. And yet Christians, we're, we're called on very specifically to not be conformed to this world, but mm-hmm. to be transformed through the renewal of our minds. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a command from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, after Paul spends 11 chapters laying out the doctrines of the gospel. And you don't do that apart from the Word of God. The, the Word of God's got to wash us. The Word of God's got to constantly reorient us to reality because this is God's world, and God in His Word has told us the truth about His world and how we should best live in His world. So having the Word of God, we've got to be people of the book, but then God just hadn't told us to follow Christ individually. We follow Christ together, mm-hmm. and that's the church. And I do believe that uh, the church is way undervalued today. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's sad to me. I, I had a conversation just yesterday 
with a man who counts himself to be a very faithful, rigorous, strong Christian who basically has no use for the church. Mm. I mean, what he likes about church is where he can be taught. You know, if he can be taught good insight from the scriptures, then he thinks he's got it. And uh, yet those scriptures that talk about being under the lordship of Christ in a local assembly, uh, he doesn't have any time for them. We, mm-hmm. we talked about a couple of them. So, yeah, it's the strategies are there on the part of our enemy, and we have got to recognize that God's given us strategies to resist the devil, to not be conformed to the world, to not let sin uh, rule in our lives. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Sword and the Trowel today. Uh, if this episode has been helpful to you, or if any of the resources that Founders Ministries puts out is helpful, and there are many resources if you go to founders.org, uh, we'd love for you to come alongside us, to support us in our ministry and in our endeavors. Uh, the Lord's been kind to us and faithful to us in allowing us to do so many things from our publishing to our podcasts to our theological journals and conferences and many other things. Uh, but if the Lord is calling you to come alongside us and support us in this, we'd ask you to go to founders.org and you can go to the Give tab there and support us financially. Uh, we thank the Lord for your gift. Yeah, I think um, the constant um, truth from the scriptures entering into our minds over and over again, and we can talk about this from like a personal devotional standpoint in which, you, you know, you're the scriptures daily. And I think we, Christians really do need that. Mm-hmm. Um, but even more important than that, uh, is receiving the word of God on the Lord's day in church, the word of God read, the word of God preached, uh, and the word of God um, uh, recited and memorized together mm-hmm. as well. Um, but there are other, you know, there are other means of grace as well. Um, there's the, there's the word of God preached to us. Um, but there, and that's kind of the more didactic, straightforward instruction that we receive, um, which we absolutely need. But one thing I think that we often downplay is just the fellowship of the saints Mm -hmm. and the importance of the fellowship of the saints and what happens as we fellowship with one another. And we've talked about this fairly recently in our church and that there is a very subtle, um, way in which Christians are sanctified and transformed as they are immersed in Christian society. Um, so they, they do receive that, um, instruction that is very obvious, um, but then they also receive like a, a kind of uh, imitation, a teaching through imitation. They see other believers in the way that they live their lives and the way that they speak and um, the way that they're following Christ. And as Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we imitate one another. Um, and if we're not imitating one another, if we're not kind of uh, marinating in a Christian society in that way and becoming more Christ-like together, we're going to imitate someone. We're going to be like the societies that we um, that we elevate to the most important in our lives. And if the church is not the most important society in our lives, well, some other society is going to be, and we're going to be formed by that society to be made more in its image. And so if that society is just broad American society, I mean, the Christian's going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so what Christians, you've often said it, is you need to find a, a healthy church and build your life around it. And, and an important qualification to that is um, there's no perfect church. So if right. your church is right. not perfect, that doesn't mean leave that church and go find a better church and do what you can to uh, to help your church. Uh, but if you're not in a healthy church, then you need to find a healthy church and build your life around it, mm-hmm. not just go Sunday mornings right. and receive the instruction, as important and vital as that is. 
um, but to build your life around it in such a way that uh, you begin to imitate imitate people uh, who are following Christ, and so that in every aspect of your life you are be- being conformed to the image of Christ. Yeah, Amen. That I think that is vitally important, and uh, we've told people uh, here to, to grow. Man, come fifteen minutes early, stay thirty minutes late, mm-hmm. and talk to folks. And there's something about being with God's people under the ministry of the word and informed by the word immediately that has a, a, a powerful uh, impact on your life. The spirit uses that. When we sing and our, our chairs are situated in such a way that we can do this, I can do this pretty easily where I sit is, you know, we're told to address one another with Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. And so we sing to one another as mm-hmm. well as singing to the Lord and before the Lord and man, God, God has strengthened my faith more times than I could ever count by t- singing and looking at people, you know, singing it as well with my soul and seeing a, a man who lost his wife, mm-hmm. lifelong partner, uh, deeply loved her. And he is singing it as well mm-hmm. with my soul. I'm, I'm listening to the congregation and I'm singing myself and I'm watching him and uh, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. or to, to see the person that's struggling with cancer or the, the person that just had a spouse walk out or a, a child that's rebelled or, or it, I mean, you, you see God's people confessing the faith together and encouraging one another as we're told to do mm-hmm. in that particular uh, means of grace of singing. Uh, there's power mm-hmm. in that. And then just spending time, uh, just a few minutes before the service and getting caught up after the service, you've just heard the word of God mm-hmm. and some of those conversations, I mean, seeing people pray for one another and having the opportunity to pray and be prayed for, um, there's value in that. So yeah, the guy who thinks I've got all this together and you know, I'm going to show up right as the service starts, I'm going to leave right after that and I'll do that once a week and man, I'm good. Uh, you're kidding yourself. Mm-hmm. You are missing out on uh, provisions that God has to keep you from being pressed into the mold of the world. Mm -hmm. So yeah, find a healthy church, build your life around it and be a real Christian and act like it. Mm -hmm. Take the word of God seriously and realize what's going on. You're, you're not floating through some kind of neutral zone. You're in a war zone. Mm -hmm. You're in vanity fair. Mm -hmm. You got people who hate you, the world. I'm not saying that everybody's consciously thinking they hate you, but they are being ruled by the devil. Mm-hmm. If they're not under Christ's lordship, they're under the devil's influence and they want you to conform and they do not love what you love. They will not value what you value as long as they're still in their sins and enslaved to the devil. And if you don't recognize that, then <clears throat> when you go to the grocery store, you're going to be set up mm-hmm. to buy what the world thinks that you ought to have. You know, when you sit down to uh, engage in entertainment, then you're going to be easily discipled mm-hmm. by what the world thinks is valuable. Uh, we've got to have a mentality realizing, okay, we're in Vanity Fair and we got people that want us to believe and think and value the way they do. Mm-hmm. And we've got to constantly be brought back to the word. Well, I think one thing that we often miss is that you Christian and you church stand in the, in the way of people with ungodly ambitions 
to bring this world further under the dominion of Satan. Right. Like you're standing in the way of that. And so the, the strategies to remove you, to get you out of the way so that this world can be brought further under the dominion of Satan, they're, they're real. Absolutely. Right? And you know, these people are not going to say, Oh yeah, I have this ungodly ambition to bring the world under the dominion <laughs> of Satan. No, that's, they, they don't, you know, understand that themselves, but it is true of Absolutely. them and it's true of us. It's interesting. You know, the Lord says in, in the Sermon on the Mount that we're the salt of the earth. And I think a large part of that is we are preservative mm-hmm. uh, in this world and we stand in the way of Satan wanting to do what he will do in this world. Yeah. Uh, and this world's no longer his. Yeah. It doesn't belong to him anymore. Christ rose from the dead and he has been given all power and all authority in heaven and on earth. Uh, and so he's placed us here for a particular reason to proclaim the gospel, but then also just to be a preservative here yeah. to stand in the way of men with ungodly ambitions to enslave this world to Satan. Amen. That's well put. And uh, if we would think like that, it would help us to not be so easily ensnared or led astray. And it would make us realize more and more just how dependent we are upon what God has given to us in Christ. And we would continually return to Christ and think of Christ and trust in Christ and want to know and follow Christ more uh, fully than we have thus far. And uh, we would want to shine his lights Mm. in this dark world in order to make disciples for Christ and to declare, yeah, he is Lord. He's Lord of all. Well, recognize that you're traveling through Vanity Fair and there's no way around this fair if you stay in this world. And yet God has designed it exactly that way for you. Uh, He wants his children to represent Christ in a world that is opposed to Christ so that we might see more and more people bow the knee to King Jesus together with us. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Sword and Trial. And if we can serve you in any way at Founders Ministries, please don't hesitate to reach out and give us that opportunity. If you have benefited from this conversation, you think it'd be useful for others, please share it with them. Uh, Like it and uh, subscribe to the podcast on the various platforms. That helps us to make this more readily available. Thanks again.